When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott Benjamin. And I'm Ben Bolin. Scott, I have a proposition before we go into this episode. There, there are a couple of side matters we need to discuss. All right. Well, uh, shoot. Okay. First, congratulations on your new dog, oh, Ernest. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Uh, second, uh, which I don't know if we can post a picture or anything, but it's a puppy. It's adorable. He looks like a smart dog, too. Yeah, he's a dachshund. Squirrel size. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's one of the things you do. You get like you uh, and your family usually have a dachshund, right? Yeah, typically. Yeah. Typically, yeah, this is our second one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, it's a handful right now, but you've got a bigger dog, right? You've got a uh, yeah. German Shepherd? Yeah, German Shepherd mix of some sort. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens when you when you do rescue dogs. Uh, a very and, smart dog. Yeah, very smart dog, which is a blessing and a curse, right, man? So uh, Is he outsmarting you? Continually, mm-hmm. this dog is outsmarting me. And this dog is not even one. And it's already, it's already figured out a lot more about the world than I have. You're in for trouble. I am, but maybe I'll, maybe I'll finally learn some things. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Uh, so the, uh, next order of business that we want to get off of the top here is that we can finally reveal that mysterious field trip we have been talking about. Yeah, that's right. We were at the High Museum of Art in uh, downtown Atlanta, Georgia, and we were at the Dream Car exhibit and, mm-hmm. Uh, we shot a couple videos, so there's going to be that coming down the line at some point. We mm-hmm. did it not only for car stuff. We did a couple of them for uh, for brain stuff. Yep. And uh, we're also planning a few for how stuff works, uh, you know, how stuff works proper. So we'll see uh, We'll see what's, what's happening here soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're kind of putting these together, but we are pretty much fresh off the shoot right now. So we've got a lot of information about um, some amazing historic dream cars. Oh, yeah. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, you guys are going to enjoy this stuff. If you enjoy it, maybe, what would you say, Scott? If you enjoy it one 
fifteenth of the amount that we enjoyed doing it, then you're going to be over the moon. Yeah, it was so much fun. And these are cars, Ben, that you know I've read about in the past and never been able to stand next to or see in person. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and there they all were in one room. I mean, it's yeah. a beautiful, wonderful exhibit. And uh, uh, thanks again to the High Museum of Art in, mm-hmm. in Atlanta, Georgia, for, for helping us out. The curator there was helping us, Sarah. Mm-hmm. Um, we also had somebody working with us from PR. That was uh, Jessica Whittingslow, I believe mm-hmm. her name was. Mm-hmm. Very, very helpful, uh, the staff. And uh, and we had the museum all to ourselves. So, uh, you know, for one day to be able to do this. And yeah. uh, it was just it was a fantastic exhibit, and it was so much fun to do. Yeah, and we didn't embarrass ourselves. Neither of us pilfered anything from the gift shop. Well, we haven't seen all of the video yet, so maybe we've embarrassed <laughs> ourselves. Uh, we'll let the, the listeners decide. Yeah, stay tuned. Uh, by way of segue, one thing that's interesting about that exhibit, uh, and we won't say too much about this because I think it's its own episode later down the line. Uh, these were all concept cars, you guys, and there was only one car there out of all these once-in-a-lifetime cars that somehow came together in one place, there was one car there that actually looked like a used car, like it had been used. Oh. And, yeah, and you know, know the one I'm talking I about. I do, yeah, that's right. It'll come out uh, in the videos, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was an incredible collection. Just, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it's on the level of, like, a Concours um, exhibit only. Absolutely. Only at, or Concours show, rather, only at a museum with museum-quality lighting and, you know, mm-hmm. the wooden floors. Right. Just, it was breathtaking. Yes, and while we were doing this, we're still, of course, doing our regular show, the audio podcast, and this got us thinking, you know, here's some fantastic cars that, technically speaking, are used, but what about the kind of used cars that just average Joe and Jane public would buy? Ah, that's right. Now, we talked about used cars many, many times Mm -hmm. here. We talked about, um, let's see, the... The, uh, the dollar quotient to the whole thing, you know, like, uh, right. is, it, is it a wise decision for your pocketbook to be able to make this purchase? Right. Cost um, of ownership. Exactly right. And how long before, um, you know, it makes sense, uh, you know, whether you buy a used or new version of the same vehicle, um, all kinds of things. Oh, uh, salvage vehicles. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about so many different aspects of used vehicles. Here's an article that I came across, um, that is from Car and Driver and it's from 2009. So it goes back a little ways, but what I find valuable about this and it's not because um it, it does not spell out specific vehicles. What this article does is it it's written in a humorous way, right? But it spells out types of cars to avoid instead of specific cars to avoid. And that's why I feel comfortable going back to an article written in 2009 because mm-hmm. what was true then holds true now. I mean, obviously the cars that we're going to talk about today uh, we're going to talk about, you know, the, the types of cars, not specifics. If we want to add specifics in there, that's fine. We can do that along the way. But I, we haven't really talked about adding anything like that. But uh, we'll throw in some, you know, some advice of our own along the way. And one thing I do want to say is that, you know, just as it just as it says here in the article, there's always temptation to kind yeah. of cut corners, you know, to uh, to go with the lowest price version of whatever you're looking at. So, you know, you look at uh, five different cars of the same make and model, very, very little difference between the two. You're gonna go, or sorry, between the five, right? You're probably gonna go with the cheaper, ver- cheapest one, right? Sure. Ma- maybe not always. Maybe there's a reason that you go with the other one. Maybe it's got a better service history, or maybe mm-hmm. you just feel better about the transaction with the owner. Yeah. Something like that. There's mm-hmm. a, there's always gonna be a little something, right? So so going cheap is maybe not always the best tactic. And these ten tips that you know the, this article kind of lays out here will show you how to buy smart. You know, instead of uh, just kind of going out there with with no information, you know, right? Without any idea of what you're going to do, and and 
um, maybe something to look for, maybe to key in on one thing that you really hadn't thought of prior to this. Because, and this is something that baffles a lot of people, being cheap can be expensive if you're not careful. It can be. It can end up costing you in the end. It can end up costing you more than if you had paid for the quality product to begin with. Right, yeah. If you hadn't if you hadn't played that game where you said, well, this transmission can last for a while. Yeah, exactly uh, right. Yeah. But I don't really know how long it's been in there, that kind of thing. So, you know, this article, as we go through here, it's written in a funny way, you know, by the author. So there's a few lines that we'll probably read along the way. Yeah. I know oh, yeah. we will. Uh, but it, it has really good advice. So even though it's written in a humorous way, look at the underlying advice. It's really funny. And one thing that I wanted to mention here, Ben, mm-hmm. at the end of this, the last piece of advice that we get to, uh, th- there's something in particular about this one. Now, it's especially funny, I think, but it's a little bit rough on the uh, on the type of owner that we're talking about for, this, uh, <laughs> for the last vehicle. Right, yeah. So you got to wait for that one and see what I'm talking about. And, you know, do we agree with it? Do we not? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, well, tell us how you feel. So let's let's go ahead and start this off, too. Uh, number one, and this is so basic, but so many people ignore this, mm-hmm. any car without a service history. That's right. Now, you're not supposed to take the word of any owner when he or she says, well, I've always had it you know, regularly serviced. All right. They should be able to prove that they've had it serviced because... I mean, everywhere that you go, it gives you a receipt. Every oil change that you get, whether it's a de- the dealership or not, gives right. you a receipt. Now, I guess if you're doing this on your own, that's something else. I mean, you should be able to have somebody that's keeping records as well. You know, that they can say, I did it on this date, and I write it down in this logbook right here. And you can take a look at the logbook, and, and I understand that happens. That's, that's mm-hmm. totally fine. If it's a dummied-up logbook, that's another thing. You'll have to – Right. You know, it's a character judgment at that point. But um, you have to be pretty good to fake a record like that. Well, also – for any kind of mileage milestones, there's going to be a record at the garage where that was performed. You just, you know, as the author points out, maybe, maybe as recently as 15 or even 10 years ago, that might not have been the case everywhere. But nowadays, most places have some sort of electronic uh, tracking system for vehicles they service. Absolutely right. I mean, you're going to get an oil change now. They open up the uh, driver's side door. They run a scanner over a barcode in the door jam, and right. then they can determine if that vehicle has ever been to that shop yet or not. You know, either mm-hmm. one of that that location or another location. So it's in the system in some way. Now, to be fair, the authors point out that there may be. Uh, an exception for some classic cars, right? Sure. Yeah, like I mentioned, you know, with the uh, do-it-yourselfers, you know. But, yeah. But, you know, I'd say for the last, again, for the last 15 years or so, a lot of this stuff has kind of been out of our hands. I mean, stuff that, you know, the backyard mechanic can't do. Right, yeah. And in some cases, especially with newer technologies, that is absolutely true. Oh, sure, like uh, module repair and right. you know, electrical repairs or mm-hmm. even, uh, you know, some of the uh, hybrid and electric vehicles that you simply can't service in your own garage. So some of that stuff has to be done by a dealer or by a train technician. So mm-hmm. you know that there's a record of that stuff out there somewhere. Track it down. I mean, I'm not great about keeping receipts, but I mean, I, I'm regular with the maintenance. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I know when it's time to sell, I don't know if I'm going to have every single receipt to prove that it's been well maintained. Right. Yeah. I'm, uh, I tend to keep cars in the family in my, in my house. So we'll just trade back and forth between various relatives. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's based on seniority. So the younger you are, the crappier your car now, gets. Now, see, my dad keeps yeah. meticulous records of everything. He's a, uh, he's a freelancer so that he keeps records about mileage. And oh, yeah. Everything. 
every gallon of fuel that goes in the car, all the mileage stats, everything is written, handwritten in a logbook. Uh, it's, it's incredible. That's the, amazing. The, the records that he has when he sells a vehicle, spotless. It's really, really He should impre- charge extra for the records. It's impressive. It's kind of neat to kind of just page mm-hmm. through it because he holds on to them for several years and uh, it gets to be a thick book by the end. Now, one thing that you need to kind of wrap this up with is don't settle for used car with an unknown service history. There's plenty of other cars out there that have a complete service history that you'll be able to track. So somebody that is good about records, like my dad is, versus me, who, you know, may not have a complete service history. You know, I'm, I'm tattling on myself, I guess, but I've got kind of a partial history. Uh, but, you know, so you're, you're better off going with the, the known rather than the unknown. All right, so let's move on to the next one, Ben. And this is a big okay. one that we've talked about, and I don't know how much time we have to spend on this one. No, nah, we can go light on this one. Um, we have a podcast on it. Exactly right. Any car with a salvage title. Yes, here's one of the best lines from this part of the article. Insurance companies aren't in the business of losing money, so it's a good bet that if a car has been written off as a total loss, it's because it really was a total loss. That's exactly right. That escapes people often. Oh, it does. And, you know, the thing is, some of these are so tempting because they're low-cost cars. I mean, you're going to find a a late-model car with low mileage, right? and it's going to be affordable. Yeah, and that Bondo almost looks like it's supposed to be there. A <laughs> good point, but now, it could, yeah, it could I mean it could be a flood car. Yeah, something that you don't really see, but you know, hey, why is that convertible Mercedes you know mm-hmm. on sale for five thousand bucks? Mm-hmm. Uh, you gotta you gotta think about these things carefully, and you know they're gonna be up front with you that it does have a salvage title, but a salvage title almost always, almost I'm gonna say, you know what, I'm just gonna say always, salvage title always means trouble. Yeah, a salvage title, and that's not even a stereotype. Uh, it would be an exception to the rule for a salvage title car not to have some problems at least. All right, at I the think very least. I think so, and I want to add one little kind of asterisk, I guess, on this. And that right. is that you know, if you're a certified mechanic, and if you have lots of free time to spend on a project like this, and you don't mind, you know, you, you know that it's a, da- a flood damaged car, and you know. You're going to be replacing a lot of things along the way, and you right. know what's going to happen. You've replaced the wiring harness, and you're watching for things that you know um, to creep up that we've already talked about in other podcasts. Then maybe it's okay if you drive that car, but the problem is, Ben, that mechanic is going to have to some, at some point sell that car to somebody else, and then they're going to have to explain that salvage title to somebody else. So, you know, it may be a great deal for you right now to to own and drive that vehicle, right? And it may work for a short amount of time. That's fine. But you are going to have to explain that, or you're going to have to unload that car somehow. Mm-hmm. And uh, you don't want to do that on some unsuspecting person who doesn't really know what that means or anything. You should be upfront about it. I, I get that, but uh, this is becoming a morality. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't mean it to to, uh, to to get to that, but seriously, you got to watch out for those salvage title cars. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian, someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at 
howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Oh, such a clutch pickup, Dave. I know, right? I was worried we'd bring back the same team. Oh, no, I meant those blackout motorized shades. MVP of the room. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. Even you could do it. Nice. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. You fly across the country to do the install? Nope. Blinds.com can do it all. All she had to do was pick what she wanted. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Look at you, Hall of Fame son. Oh, I just picked the winning team. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Oh, Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. He shoots. He scores. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go right now for up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. It's it's a good point, and I, I like that you made the point about mechanics knowing what they're doing as well. Oh, so sure. That's being that's being fair. Another thing, and this is this is a cool thing that some people might not have thought to check. So when you buy a used car, you know everybody takes a look at the tires. That's day one stuff. Sure. How much tread is left? Yeah, exactly. And I'm I'm rolling with uh two. I will say they are balding front tires. So this hits home right now because. What you should also be paying attention to is the forest for the trees tire wise. It's not just whether or not all four tires are in serviceable condition. It's whether the wear matches, whether it makes sense. Ah, that's a good point. Now, a lot of times you'll find cars that have mismatched sets of tires and it could be the difference of, you know, having all four completely different tires on the car. Right. It could be that, you know, it has uh, three of one kind and one of another, a spare that they've put on, something like that. Um, there's all kinds of variation in this, Ben, but, um, and I've got a little bit of advice that I want to kind of go against this just a bit, but but this article says that you should look for all four match tires. And there's a good reason for that. And the reason is that, you know, if you find that somebody has put mismatched tires on a vehicle, the author says that there's a good chance that they've cut corners somewhere else. You know, there may be, uh, uh, there may be less cautious with, uh, with some of the other repairs or, or less likely to get to some of the stuff that should have been fixed that, uh, maybe they've let go just a little bit too. Oh, long. I see what you're saying. Um, or, or a little chintzy on the repair. <laughs> that, that happens, I guess. Chintzy. That's a, Nobody uses that anymore. That's a good one. <laughs> that's an old one. Yeah, it's true. Every time that you buy a used car in general, you should put your Sherlock Holmes cap on and treat it like you're reconstructing a crime scene. Uh, I, I also, now I'm not going to say this the way the author says it, Scott. But I also pay attention to the brand of tires. Uh, for a lot of things, I don't really condone certain brands, you know, because you pay too much sometimes. I understand. But for tires, it matters. Yeah, I think it does. I really do. I think that a, a quality tire is important. And, you know, we could talk all day about tires, I guess, in another podcast. But, um, you know, it's overall, we just want to say that it's a good indicator of, of, um, I guess of overall care of the vehicle. You know, if, if, uh, 
you know, again, if they're they're chintzy on the tires, they may be chintzy on the other repairs. Mm-hmm. I've used it twice in a row there. I think you're killing it, man. That's I fine. Like How this. about this? Uh, one more one more little bit of advice that I want to mention about tires. Um, now, the author and I said they they mention matching four tires. You know, all four have to match, and it should be a good quality brand, et cetera. I'm going to go a step beyond that and say that you need to, or maybe a step below that, I guess. And, okay. And say that uh, if you have a car that has uh, two sets of matching tires so that, you know, two and two match, I think that's okay in my opinion. Yeah, that's what I typically do. Everybody knows, of course, that you can't buy tires one at a time. Well, that's true. But that's a terrible idea. But when you go in, they often say, we recommend you replace the front two or the back two. Right. It's typically the front two because those wear first. And a lot of people don't rotate their tires, and that's what happens. The front mm-hmm. two wear out. You've got two decent tires in the back. And because of all the turning motions, et cetera, the front wear out a little faster. And, you know, of course, the alignment set in and everything. But um, I'm going to say that, you know, if you can find a, a used car with two sets of two matching tires, mm-hmm. you're doing pretty good because a lot of people do replace two at a time. And, you know, the thing with the rotation is, is another thing. But, you know, here's the other thing that happens, and this happens to me a lot. What's that? You know, I go in, you know, somewhere and they say, like, well, there's a little bit of wear here. And I, and I think about it for a while. I don't rotate them or whatever. And then I have to get two new tires. So I do that. Yeah. And then after, uh, you know, I after the the back set finally wears out or I do rotate them and then finally those give out, I go back to the same shop to buy the same set of tires to get a set of matching four and they've discontinued that tire. Ah. And, and that happens. Yeah. And then you say, well, here's our, here's our replacement for that, that brand or that, uh, that make of tire. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then you end up with, again, a set of, you know, two that match and two that match and two that match in the front, two that match in the back. And that happens often. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be frank here. Buying all four tires at once can be expensive. Uh, that's, uh, that's a very good point to make. That's maybe the uh, the best lesson here. That's the kind of thing that I will pay for on my girlfriend's car. But when it comes to mine, I'm going right down to the tire guy that I went to last time and looking for the best compromise between price and quality. You and I think exactly alike yeah. on that. Uh, I do the exact same thing. So let's, let's start uh, talking about the next thing on here, which I did not – really expect uh the way he titles this is any car with brush strokes in the paint i've luckily never been about to buy a car that looks like someone just got a brush and slapped some pigments on it painted it with a roller like remember our can you paint your own car episode uh, yeah. i think there were people that had painted with uh with various devices you know whether whether it's a paint roller yeah or if it was a um, even a brush mm-hmm. you know fine bristle brush or whatever but and i um, know people have used spray paint too. sure spray yeah. paint yeah that's another thing and, and you know brush strokes that's one thing but you know there's also the spray paint thing and a lot of people find that when they kind of look at their used new used vehicle from different angles you know with different light yeah they find wait a minute that uh, that panel doesn't quite match up with the other panels and it it has kind of a rough uh you know it has that orange peel surface to it it wasn't as clean as i thought it was or there were little bits of stuff that got caught in the paint oh sure yeah this okay uh before we go any further i do want to point out that that podcast on whether or not you can paint your car with a brush was fascinating and it seems possible right it is possible you just have to have a lot of time yeah a lot of patience and yeah you gotta, the hands of a surgeon uh, yeah the hands of a sturgeon <laughs> yeah that's right so yeah the whenever anybody says that i have to say hands of a sturgeon. all right so you know the um the thing about the paint your own car podcast i mean that, yeah. that, that we proved that it was possible it is possible you have to take time you have to take you know 
really great care, and you can end up with a fabulous product. Mm-hmm. The problem is not everybody does that. Yeah. And uh, I was just in uh, Biloxi, Mississippi this weekend, mm-hmm. and I saw a vehicle, Ben, that I nearly stopped to take a photo of, but it was in a parking garage, and I didn't do it because I was you know, on the move, and I had somebody behind me that was trying to get into a parking spot, et cetera. Somebody had, the whole back end of the car had been missing, apparently. It was oh. a smaller car, like a okay. smaller Chevrolet product, a green one. And it looked like they had just taken sheet metal that they had purchased at Home Depot and created their own trunk out of this thing. I mean, everything from the window back to the bumper. Created wow. this kind of boxy-looking trunk thing and then painted it green that sort of matched the vehicle. It was just the sloppiest job I've ever seen in my life. Now, that's an extreme example, but some people take this home car repair, you know, body repair and, um, you know, paint sure. uh, refinishing thing to a, to a different level. You know, some people are really good at it. Other people just, uh, they, they can't swing it. And you, you notice the ones that can't do it. The ones that you don't notice are the ones that are really, really good. Yeah, flying under the radar. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to be clear about this. And in full disclosure, Scott, I'm of two minds about the next thing I'm going to ask you about. And that goes to Bondo. All right, here's the deal. I really enjoy... uh the do-it-yourself culture, and I also really enjoy the creative things we see people do with vehicles. Mm-hmm. But if I'm buying a car, you know, if if I'm shelling out cold hard cheese for a for a vehicle that's supposed to be dependable and something I can drive, uh, then I'm very hesitant about it. So I wanted to know, and I, and I think other listeners want to know too, what's your position on Bondo? Oh, I've had, I've had cars that have had plenty of Bondo, uh, but the thing is you don't find out about the Bondo until later unless you use that old magnet trick. Yeah. The magnet trick is, of course, you know, you take it and you apply it to the fenders. It used to work on the older cars that weren't made of composites or, or plastics. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't work on fiberglass, of course, but any kind of uh, steel car, you're able to adhere a, uh, a, you know, a refrigerator magnet or something like that. Take it with you when you look for the used car. Mm-hmm. Stick it on the fenders at the usual spots. You know, the places where you think that rust might appear. If you know a specific make and model rust at the, you know, the the the, uh, the lower quarter panel, take that magnet and try to apply it to that panel all over that area and see if it uh, see if it sticks. If it doesn't, there's bondo underneath that paint, and you don't want anything to do with it, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, or maybe you do. You know, maybe you're okay with it because. Uh, you're not going to find out until, you know, that paint comes off and that's either in an accident or you're stripping the car to have it repainted, something right. like that. There's also, in in extreme cases, there might be a uh, a safety issue, you know, if, if um, it's reducing the area of a crumple zone or something like that. But that would be, I mean, that's practically if somebody is sculpting a car out of Bondo. Right. That would be that would be going way, way too far. And Bondo is a really good product. I mean, there's a reason that people use it. Uh, I would just be cautious because, to me as well, if somebody doesn't tell you about Bondo in a car, well, you know, even it means the, you can't trust them. Even the best body shops use a little bit of body filler here and there for minor, minor imperfections. Right. We're talking about, you know, pinholes that they're filling. Yeah, we're essentially, not, we're not talking about, you know, where uh, somebody hit it with a, you know, another car and they're just simply filling in that caved-in area of the panel. Mm-hmm. That's that's completely different. What about what about this one? Have you ever? gone to buy a used car and this actually happened to me scott and you know you know it's an older car it's probably been sitting for a while i mean you start to wonder how long it's been sitting because you start seeing little signs like maybe a stash of acorns somewhere ah, that'd be a good sign 
Yeah. Yeah, I've uh, I've seen rodent damage in cars, things like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's what you're talking about, right? You're talking mm-hmm. about uh animals that drag stuff in from nature into your car. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly right. And you know, it seems like you and I have torn apart a certain MGB that had acorns in the engine. Oh, that's true. Uh, but <laughs> in I, the engine, that's but right. I, but I believe that may have been uh, you know, just from sitting under a tree with the the hood open mm-hmm. instead of uh, you know, something actually dragging it into there. But uh, there's some signs that you should look for definitely. Like uh, you mentioned acorns in the glove box. That's one. Uh, you can also look for, um, you know, rat droppings, things like that yeah. that happen on the carpets, yep. on the seats. Signs of chewing. Exactly. Yeah, the chewing, the gnawing. And the problem with this is that they get in and they chew on the electrical, um, you know. Yeah, they chew the wires. Yeah, that's right. And, you mm-hmm. know, so behind the dash, it's stuff that you won't see mm-hmm. until it's too late. Or in the, you know, the um, in the engine area, in the engine compartment. Right. Uh, there was a person here who... I think we've mentioned this in the past. Uh, they had uh, rats in a Prius. Oh, <laughs> and it sounds like a movie, right? It does I guess. Sound like, like a snakes movie. on a plane, but it's rats <laughs> in a Prius. And it was a true story, but they they trapped them. They were getting into. Um, they were curious rats that were coming in to gather up the leftovers from. You know, they had a, a this person, this uh, this person here in the office. Yeah, had a young child, and uh-huh. they would drop you know cookies and raisins and all that right. stuff on the floor. And the rats found a way into the Prius, and uh, we're taking that and the stuffing from the car seat in order to make a nest somewhere. You know, I'm just I'm laughing, Scott, because I'm picturing Samuel Jackson in the back seat of a Prius, saying the titular line from Snakes on a Plane, which I'm not going to say on a family show. Oh, this could uh, it could be a great movie. This it? has I mean, legs, I, mean, I think. Rats yeah. in a Prius sounds, sounds really good. <laughs> uh, okay, I can picture the poster now. <laughs> so can I? Um, all right. So, any car that wants to drive back to the Hertz lot. Ah, yes. So, this is the old, uh, should I or should I not buy a rental car? I'm going to, I mean, I don't think you should. Uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to say avoid it altogether. I'm going to say that, you know, I'm I'm firmly in the camp of do not buy a rental car. You're again it. Uh, but, the, yeah, I am again it. Yeah, you're again it as well. And if you're for it, uh, you're going to say things like, well, it's got a detailed service history, right? But... Yeah, that's a good point. But there's all of that time where it goes between, you know, it's it's handed off between hundreds of drivers for tens of thousands of miles right. where you don't know what happens. And and people notoriously abuse rental cars. I'm not one that does. I'm very careful about it because I want all of my deposit money back. Right. Some people aren't so careful. That's true. And there is this huge advantage from having a longtime owner of a car. You know, and that advantage is simply not there with rental cars. Now, do the mechanics and the service experts in rental car facilities, do they do a good job? Absolutely. That's the reason rental cars can work for so long, despite this horrendous abuse. Every time somebody woke up too late or later than they wished and they had to get to the airport. I, I kind of see these guys as like, uh, they're almost like magicians because they, uh, they put them <laughs> back together, you know, when they come in in terrible shape. Yeah. And then by the time it's ready to go out again, it's, uh, it seems like it's uh, back in perfect working order. Everything's clean. Uh, you know, I've, I've never really had a bad, you know what? I'm going to take that back. I've had one really bad rental car experience. And I think I want to say it was back when I it was like a Grand Canyon trip or something. I think mm-hmm. I told you about this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I shared it on air as a matter of fact. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, there was one that was just really, really poor, and uh, that's the exception. Um, so these guys, they always put them back together, and they button them up. Everything is fine, and the maintenance is done because, you know, they, they run a long, long time. But the problem is then when they're ready to, to go, when they're ready to replace those on the lot, 
they sell, you know, a rental car company might sell, you know, like I think I read one article, they sold something like 27,000 cars in one month to replenish their stock. Wow. And, you know, all new cars and they can advertise we've got all new cars, but what happened to those other 27,000? Well, they go out, you know, on the lots for sale and, and you know, with the used, used car for sale sign on them somewhere. Right. Or they go to, and this is kind of scary, Ben, this is something I just, just learned, dealer-only auctions. And that is a little bit hazardous in that, you know, they go to a dealer-only auction, the dealer picks it up, the dealer then sells it to you and, you know, maybe forgets to throw in that part that it was off a rental car lot. And uh, you just don't know anything about the service history. Not that you necessarily would buy it from a dealer lot anyways, but... Um, you know, there's just that extra element of the unknown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's true, and that goes back to a little bit of a morality argument on the parts of the dealers. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's something that uh, I've seen multiple times. You know, you're you're buying a used car, and the the person selling it to you says, "All right, well, this car is not perfect. You know, she needs a little oil every now and then." But other than that, she's cherry, which I I think I'm quoting a C.W. McCall song, actually. (laughs) Maybe. But uh, if you are going to buy a car, pay attention to the undercarriage, to what what might be leaking out there. Is it condensation from the A.C.? Are you sure? Yeah. When you back out, look where the look where the engine was, and uh, and see if there's a puddle there. And again, you can get out, and there's nothing wrong with this. You can get out, and you can you know look at it. You can inspect it. You can you can run your finger through it and see if it's water, or if it's oil, or if it's transmission fluid, or if it's brake fluid, or whatever it happens to be. But you got to be wary of all these things. And I think we've talked about this. In the we past. have. Yeah. I know we have with used cars. Yeah. That you know if there's a, a pool of fluid, you know, by the left rear tire. You might want to look at that brake line, you know, and see what's going on. Or, right. You know, there's a, there's a transmission leak. You're going to see red fluid on the driveway. Yeah. Um, there's there's all kinds of signs like this that you really need to be watching for. And one thing that is, uh, is a little tricky with this is that a lot of used car lots, Ben, are still on these gravel lots. Yep. And that makes it that makes it a lot more difficult to track this down because, you know, for one thing, they can just move the car, and you know that's fine. You, you're never going to be able to spot this, but they could do that on an asphalt parking lot. But you could also rake around the the gravel. And make it look perfectly clean under that car. That's and, true. And that happens often. That, that's what they do. I mean, so not to say that, you know, every used car dealer does this or anything. There's never, you know, the all people do this all the time type of no, scenario. Yeah. There's, there's good and bad. But uh, it can make it a little more tricky, you know. Um, so you know, just just pay attention to this <laughs> kind of thing. And the other thing, and I thought this was fantastic advice. Oh, yeah. If yeah. you can do this, if you if you set up the sale or the purchase of a car, uh, or you're you're looking at a car. And this is a little sneaky. I've never really thought about doing this. This would be kind of a covert operation, I guess. If you can get back to that lot in the evening after hours and put a piece of cardboard underneath the car, mm-hmm. and then come back in the morning and check out that cardboard that you've laid under there and make sure that it's perfectly clean, that's probably the best indicator because they could move the car around. That's you know that's understandable. They would do that, but that would be your indicator that you know I placed that cardboard under there and it was clean. I came back in the morning at 6 a.m. to look at the cardboard again, and, uh, you know, there's a couple spots of transmission fluid. What's what's going on? If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian, someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet and also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. 
it's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. You know, everybody has their own wellness routine, their own approach to a healthy lifestyle. A lot of the most successful ones include herbs like ginger root, ashwagandha, and so many others. Nature's Way has been sourcing herbs like those for over 50 years. They understand that nature is the ultimate problem solver. So they're dedicated to providing plant-powered formulas to help people live healthier lives. Their herbs can support your health in so many ways. For instance, ginger root and slippery elm bark have both been used for centuries all over the world. Ginger root has traditionally been used to soothe occasional digestive upset and slippery elm bark to soothe the GI tract. St. John's wort, holy basil, and ashwagandha can provide mood and stress support, which is something we can all use in our modern life. I mean, these herbs come from all over the world, but Nature's Way knows where the best ones grow. They test for potency in their state-of-the-art lab, and their scientists are experts in all things herbs. What's on the label is what's in your bottle, and what's in your bottle are the best herbs around. To learn more, visit naturesway.com. Unless you get outfoxed and they have a cardboard switcher. Could be. switch out another piece of cardboard. Could be, or, you know, you have to deal with, like, lot security or something like that. So I'm not necessarily (laughs) recommending you do something like this, but I thought it was kind of an interesting little thing that you might be able to do if you can get away with it. Well, something else we should keep in mind here, Scott, is that we may well be making a lot of future car buyers paranoid. Uh, And we might be making some car sellers a little bit irritated well we don't intend to do that i no, mean this it's is just that you need to know yeah i guess so i mean it's just another thing to think of everybody's got to have some knowledge in their bank before they go there right and you mm-hmm. have to be able to draw from that knowledge and i think that you know the more you know as a buyer the better off you are and i guess as a seller you know you should know that your customers are they're pretty smart they're uh, they're they're learning all of these things from all different sources now i mean everybody's able to look up you know, 10 tips for buying a used car or 20 right. tips for, um, you know, making sure that the used car salesman isn't, isn't cheating you, that type of thing, type of thing. And, you know, again, these, these places are reputable. They want to stay in business. They're not going to do this. These are the ones, the ones that we're talking about are the ones that are the, uh, the guys that are not so reputable that will be out of business in a month, but, you know, they've sold 10 cars and they're on to the next town. Well put, Scott. Well put. Well said, rather. Uh, the next item on our agenda to avoid would be press vehicles. Ah, this is one that very few people think about, but I'm going to tell you there's a little trick here in this one that uh, the dealers sometimes will use, and uh, it's one that I didn't know until I read this article. All right. All right, so what we're talking about are the uh, the press fleet vehicles that, you know, they they give them to, um, you know, the local newspaper to write up a review or to... 
the uh, the big magazines. It depends right. on where you are. You the know, review guys, yeah. Exactly right. And you'll see the write-ups of these cars, mm-hmm. but they're borrowed cars. So sometimes they'll buy them, sometimes they won't. Usually they're borrowed cars from the dealer lots. Right. And the purpose is to test the limits of the car. I mean, but they don't just test it once. You know, they don't just, like, it's a simple test and it's over. They do this over and over and over again, and it's very, very rough on these test vehicles. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the thing is, they can leave these cars really, uh, what the author calls, tired at the end of the testing. Well, of course, if you're out there listening, you're thinking the same thing that we thought as well initially, like, hey, tires can be replaced. You can repack bearings, and uh, you can pretty much fix anything that goes wrong on a car if you have enough time and dedication. But here's the problem there's not really a way of knowing what is wrong with a press vehicle. Ah, that's right. And I want to tell you one thing. I'm going to read a line from this that uh, that I thought was important. This is the eye-opening part for me, Ben. Um, and it's what they what they call them. And I've seen these advertised before, and I never knew that these were the press vehicles. So it says, A simple fact that test cars, like rental cars, are born into a life of abuse. To a slightly lesser extent, the same applies to dealer demo cars, and be wary of cars sold as executive demos, because those are often the spin speak for the press cars. Yeah. Now, I didn't know that the executive demo cars were the ones that they loan out to the press, because those are the ones that are being abused. You would think the executive demos, I mean, a name like that sounds right. like it's gentle use. I don't know what I thought that was in the past. I guess I never really paid attention to it. But um, a press car, if I, if I saw a press car, I don't think I would be anywhere near it to begin with because I know what they do. I mean, I've seen all the testing. I read all the testing, you know, and how they abuse them. Right. But that's their job. That's what they're supposed to do. Um, sometimes they buy one, as we mentioned, you know, and abuse their own vehicle. That's fine I mean, for a fleet or they do long-term testing, things like sure. that. Sure. Understand. But, you know, to bring it back to the dealer and then have the dealer sell it as an executive demo car, uh, that's a little, uh, that's a little shifty. <laughs> don't you think? I mean, it sounds, yeah. it sounds so, uh, sounds so pleasant. Right. Well, executive demo makes me think of, you know, Warren Buffett or something going in and, and saying, may I borrow your Audi? Oh, it's like entertaining clients or something. Yeah. You know, it sounds yeah. like that. It doesn't sound like, you know, the, uh, the quarter mile test, you know, 15 times in a row or, um, you know, the, the, uh, the skid pad test and, you know, things like that. Well, you know, here's what it's, here's what it's like exactly for anyone who hasn't been in this situation. Cause it does sound like these cars might be, relatively rare, like your chances of running into one, mm-hmm. you need to know about it. But maybe a better comparison for people who have not been in this situation to get get their heads around it is if you have ever been in a department store, you know, or Target or Walmart or whatever, and they have those display items where customers can come and, you know, push the button on the blender or uh, move the lid of the stereo uh, back when stereos had CD players and stuff. It's a good comparison. Yeah, because people aren't, 90% of the time, people aren't going to buy that. They just want to play with it. And so this thing that if you buy that model, yeah, you can get a little bit off the top, right? You can even negotiate with the manager sometimes if you're you know, as thrifty as I am. Uh, but later you end up paying for that because you've, picked up something that has already been pushed to uh, its limits exactly. because people want to see what can you do. Exactly right. And, you know, can I tell you just one little OCD yeah, yeah. thing that I have? Yeah. At a store, if I'm buying something off the shelf, I typically won't grab the first or even the second one on the shelf. I'll go for something at the back of the shelf uh, because you know, I feel that people have picked it up, handled it, looked at it, tested yep. it, tried it, whatever. 
I always go for like maybe the third or fourth one back. Again, it's just like this weird OCD thing. I do thing, it too. I see other shoppers doing the same thing, so I know I'm not alone. And I, I, I guess now I yeah. understand that you do it as well. From free magazines to even even if I'm just picking up a spare set of headlamps or tail lamps, uh, you know, I go to the third bulbs in the back mm-hmm. minimum. I don't know why. That's a strange habit, isn't it? But once you do it, you you kind of uh, it's it's always there. You always do that. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's move on to the next yeah. one. This is an interesting one, and it, it takes it to a different level because this one says you want to avoid what they call boy racer cars. And I understand what they're saying. I, think, I don't completely agree. Okay. You don't agree with this one. Now, this would be, and honestly, this would be kind of a, uh, a rare one to come across because they're not so much talking about the cars that look the part. You know, the ones that, you know, they throw a, um, you know, a, a flimsy spoiler on the trunk <laughs> and a few, a few stickers and, you know, wider wheels or whatever. They lower it, that type of thing. But they're talking about in this article, the ones that have been converted almost to a track day car, you know, cause they're, they're saying things like, um, you know, you can you can do stiff shocks and bushings and things like that that are really ooh. stiff and and uh, you know the springs that are really really you know like have very little give in them um, stuff like that you can undo if you wanted to but when you start talking about like removing the sound deadening material right or if you're taking out the power accessories um, you know or you know just to to drop weight or if you're someone who has uh, continually removed the back seat from the car you know on mm-hmm. track day things like that uh, stuff that you just can't really overcome or if they've um, you know, recam the engine so that, you know, the, the power band is way up near the red line. Yeah. Um, you know, stuff like that is, is tough to overcome. You can't just, you know, go to a, a shop and replace it with, you know, a more comfortable set of springs. You, you know, have to go and have the, uh, the engine completely reworked if you wanted to make it more streetable, I guess. Right. And, uh, you know, the, the sound dead, deadening material thing. I mean, we're talking about like a ripped out, uh, ripped out interior and you've seen a race car versus a, sure. a street car. I mean, they might even take out the shotgun seat. But how often have you gone to look at a car and not known that that was it? Because when it's advertised, it will typically be advertised as like a track day car. Yeah. Or it's a, it says right there, it's a race car. It's not really a street car, but you can drive it on the street. It's street legal. Um, right. Yeah. It, but it's not a daily drive. Exactly right. So I don't think that this would fool a lot of people, you know, into going, showing up and then, Suddenly, it's like, well, I didn't expect there to be, you know, no passenger seat. Right. See, this is why I take an exception to this one just a little bit, because it really depends on what you're looking for. So for some people, this this is the perfect thing to buy. You know, it's it's an affordable car that they can take out and race a little bit. Mm-hmm. Right. And a weekend car. Right. A mountain exactly. car. Thank you. Uh, I think that anybody who would go in and buy one of these vehicles uh, with the assumption that they would just drive it around all the time. Well, they're, they're talking about kind of reclaiming the car, you know, making it, taking it from the, the track day special car back to a, uh, you know, a grocery getter. But why would you? First off, it's impossible. You can't really ever undrive those miles you That's know true. what i mean and they're, and they're hard miles don't uh don't yes, mistake sir. don't mistake that so um yeah i guess the thing is that it's tough to re-civilize a car mm-hmm. once it's kind of uh what they said, they said it's gone feral so yeah. uh you know yeah. that's a good way to put it i guess you know don't don't try to uh to overcome that you know just move on to the next vehicle if it's not for you if it is for you this is a good find and uh speaking of moving on to the next one if I could ask our super producer, Noel Brown, for a little bit of a characteristic car stuff drum roll. The last one on our list is any Camaro wearing death metal stickers. Now, 
I said early on yeah. that this was a rough one, right? I mean, it's it's funny, but it's pretty harsh on the owners of old older Camaros, okay? <laughs> so the death metal sticker thing, I, and I understand that's kind of a, uh, that's a stereotype, right? Right. Okay, let's get past that. So we understand that's a stereotype, we get it. But he says, he does say some good things here. He says there's a lot of good to be said about old Camaros. They were available with small block V8s. And massage just right, they handle really well, and they're also dirt cheap. That's all good points, right? Uh, but it's also true that these cars attract the sort of buyer who saves his greatest loyalty for death metal legends like Slayer and Morbid Angel. So, you know, it's, it's again, playing into the stereotype, I understand. So he then mentions that, you know, vehicle care probably isn't a priority when uh, when you've got a lot of other concerns going on. And uh, one of these things <laughs> he mentions is a possible serious meth addiction. And, mm-hmm. uh, and again, it's funny, you know, because later he ties it in with a uh, if it smells like meth, it is meth in this case. Can, can I read that whole caution quote? Of course. OK, of course. Beyond the band loyalty stickers, look out for crumpled parole reports, old visitor passes from prominent penal institutions, and abandoned toothless children in the hatchback area. And if it smells like meth, it's meth. So see what I mean? It's a little bit harsh on uh, on Camaro owners because, honestly, he's he's right about this. I mean, the small block V8s, they handle really well. They're cheap. It's a great – it can be a great car, but you've got to be careful. And I've seen some really, really ratty Camaros. I've seen some really, really well done Camaros. Right. It's just a matter of how they're cared for. And again, you know, he's saying if you if you roll up and it does have these death metal stickers and it's in bad condition, move on because there are plenty of them that are in fantastic shape and are great cars. I just here's the thing, man. I know people who listen to death metal, and they're not addicted to meth. Of course not. And they're they're pretty good about taking care of their cars, because uh, you know it's a big deal. Sure. But, you know, this is just meant to get a chuckle out of the readers. I mean, I understand why I put it in there at number 10. It's, it's funny and everything. But it yeah. does it does lead me to a, a question, Ben. This is a question for our listeners. Okay. All right. So forgive us for the uh, for the Camaro stereotyping. We're not doing it. We're just reading the, uh, reading the article. I'm against it. All right. So question is, for you as, as a listener, or Ben, you can answer this if you like. I mean, I'm putting you on the spot here. but No worries. What is a sure sign to you that you don't want to buy a specific used car when you show up? I mean, either the car itself or possibly something about the owner when you arrive. Uh, you know, something that, that says or doesn't say, uh, you know, I, I I want to buy from this person. I trust this person. Is there something that you spot as you approach that used vehicle, you know, parked in the driveway or in the on the dealer lot or wherever it happens to be? That uh, that completely turns you off, or something that says like, "Oh, this is something for me. This is this is probably the one I'm going to get right away." Mm-hmm. Now, I've talked with uh, a couple of listeners via email about this back and forth, and I know that I've mentioned this. There's a certain amount of profiling that goes on when you are buying a used car, and Absolutely. whether you know it consciously or you do it subconsciously, there is a there's actually a lot of profiling that happens, and you, you do it you do it without even thinking about it most of the time. But, you know, something that just doesn't rub you right when you when you talk to that current owner, you know, or you see something on the car that just, uh, you know, it, it uh, makes you toss and turn at night as you're kind of mulling over the decision for the next day. Can I uh, can I go ahead and answer this briefly? Yeah. All right. The number one thing for me has nothing to do with the actual vehicle. Hmm. But if I'm in a situation, you know, and I, I meet somebody I'm talking about purchasing their used car and they try to boss me around mm-hmm. or do like the little intimidation tactics, then we're done because you're not doing me a favor 
with me buying your car. And that's something people try to do often when they want to take advantage of someone else. They try to create a power dynamic. And, uh, you know, as a young kid, right, when I would go uh, the times I had gone to buy a used car, you know, usually we keep them in our family, right? So it's just me and like my parents and grandparents and uncles passing around cars. But when I had been in situations where someone told me how it was going to be that I was going to buy this car for X amount of money, I was going to do this and this and the third, we're done. You know, you're not even at that point really being a good person, much less a good salesman. I'm completely with you on this. And I'm glad you said that the pressure thing is what gets me. Yeah, no. Um, you know, that I've got another interested buyer coming, uh, coming this evening. So you have to make a decision right now. That kind of thing really wears on me. And that, that goes for everything. I mean, whether it's, uh, you know, a house or anything. Sure. I mean, anybody that tries to pressure you into buying something right now, that's usually a bad sign. Now, they could be on the level. They could be saying, like, I, I really do have someone coming in from, you know, driving in from Tennessee. They'll be here in two hours. If you take it, I'll mm-hmm. call him and tell him to turn around because it's gone. Yeah, that, maybe that they could be on the level, uh, but maybe they're not. The thing is, it's very, very difficult to know. Yeah, and it puts you in a bad position. As a buyer, you don't want to ever be pressured because there's a lot of money on the line here. I it's mean, not it, negotiating in good faith. Exactly right. Or, you know, what about that guy that tried to get me to – he wanted me to change the title information. Oh, I love that guy. That? And, yeah, uh, yeah. And there's no way. I mean, once the second that happens – I won't even consider the purchase. I mean, it's, right. it's done because I know the, the type of character that is, and I wouldn't I wouldn't deal with that. Now, that's way back before you got picked up the Newport when you were looking oh, yeah. for a project car. That, that was uh, it was prior to that. I was one yeah. of the one of the turndown vehicles. It was a uh, it was one of those crazy uh, like a Bugatti kit car. You remember uh-huh. those like yeah, made yeah, out of yeah. the VW chassis and everything? And it was pretty intriguing. But the guy wanted me to change the title information, and I said, "There's no way we're changing the title information." <laughs> right. You know, it was, a, it was a shady deal to begin with, and I, I just didn't want to go. For I it. love the part where you do it. I love the part where he decided, "Oh yeah, that you should do it." Decided that I should do it and handed me the paper yeah. with the, with the with pen. the pen. Yeah, everything's cool, Scott. Yeah, but you do this part. <laughs> yeah. No on way, my car. No way. So stuff like that. I mean, yeah. and there's a million of these. I mean, that was just ten, mm-hmm. and you know, the last one was just thrown in. I think yeah, for, yeah, for humorous yeah. effect, but. Um, honestly, there's, there's a million of these. So I'd love to hear listeners, you know, like what, what's a sure sign to you that you don't want to buy that used car or what's a sign that you do want that car, Mm -hmm. whether it's the car or, you know, from the owner. That's true. Now, uh, before we close out the episode, Scott, would you like to do a little listener mail? Uh, let's do it. Okay, Jeff D. writes to us from Ontario and says, Hey, Scott and Ben, I was at a local classic custom car show yesterday and saw this car, which reminded me of your shows on sleeper cars and engine swaps. When I first approached it, I thought it was just a clean Miata with nice wheels. Then I noticed the word Corvette. In the engine compartment was a Corvette LS3 engine. It was neatly housed, looked like it belonged there. There wasn't any extra space, but it didn't look like anything had to be drastically modified either. As a fan of the AC Cobra, I became very interested. I wanted to be there when the owner fired it up. I have a short attention span, and there were tons of shiny things around to draw me away. When I came back, it was gone. With an engine like that, no wonder. I'm sure it scoots. Uh, There are lots of custom and classic cars in this little city, and now I'm going to be looking at everyday cars, wondering if they are, and listening for, a wolf in sheep's clothing. Ah, sleeper cars. I love them. So do you, I know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, So that, uh, that Miata, I mean... 
I don't remember if that's a uh, that's an official monster Miata or not. I, I don't remember, but there's another there there are other kind of brands of that out there. Right, you know, people that are doing these V8 conversion in Miatas, and people do like to compare them to the old AC Cobras. And, mm-hmm. and uh, it's, I think it's a good comparison because it's super strong, super lightweight. Yeah, it's got to be so much fun to drive. We've got a lot of Miata drivers and, and fans in the audience as well. That's true. That's true. Oh, and uh, one other thing. He commented on the Harley Davidson podcast we did recently. He says, P.S. I'd like to weigh in on the electric motorcycle quandary. I currently ride a bad to the bone Harley Street Bob, and there is no way an electric bike can emulate that experience. But I used to ride sports bikes and kind of, and I can imagine a day in the not too distant future when electric bikes attain a level that could be improvement to that experience. I wouldn't judge Harley Davidson harshly for expanding their lineup to appeal to other demographics so long as they don't abandon their current fans exactly right and i think that was the uh, the sentiment that we had at the end of that one is uh is that you know, we don't judge them at all for trying to branch out to, to gain these new customers you know yeah. um they have to it's just part of the business mm-hmm. and uh, and we had i think we've kind of agreed that they're probably never ever going to quit building their internal combustion engines yeah i don't know why I, I i can't see it happening in the near future no i don't either so there's uh there's absolutely no need for purists or anybody to say uh, you know, we fear this change. Right. Uh, it's just something new from the same maker. It's an addition. Yeah, you'll be able to get that that uh, that loud Harley as long as you want. Yeah, like while we're doing videos and still doing the audio show. Uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up now. Uh, we've got to head out. We hope that we have given you some interesting or useful tips on used cars to avoid. And as Scott said, let us know what uh, gives you a red flag when you are considering buying a, a particular car. You can tell us about it on Facebook. You can also find us on Twitter. We have our own website where you can check out all of the podcasts we've ever done. It's carstuffshow.com. And if you want to take a page from uh, Jeff's book and write to us directly, uh, we'd love to read it. Jeff sent some great pictures, too, of the vehicles. Feel free to do the same. Our email address is carstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. You've probably heard a lot about electrified vehicles lately. Well, Toyota has electrified options for every lifestyle. We've got hybrids. No plug needed. let's go. But we also have plug-in hybrids, if that's your thing. (laughs) You can even go 100% electric in the Toyota BZ4X. With so many options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified, diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, 
you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.